Canada curious? This is the Yes We Canada podcast, the progressive's guide to getting the fuck out. On this episode, British Columbia. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Zimble in Montreal. British Columbia. Hippies. A lot of hippies. Some of them are our people who were stationed here during the war in Vietnam. Now, BC's been in the news lately, and forgive me if you already know this story because it's, it's been a huge story, but last week in the northeastern town of Tumbler Ridge, BC, population 2000, our national rodent, the beaver, chewed through some fiber optic cables and took out the internet. Apparently, dude was building a dam, found the fiber optic cables, and wanted to find out what the internet tasted like. The whole town was without internet for the entire day. From beavers to BC bud, British Columbia is a very complicated place. Oh yeah, I didn't tell you how to get there. So you go to Alberta, hang a left, you can't miss it. First of all, BC is stunning, like breathtakingly stunning, especially when it's sunny, which it is one or two days a year. In BC, you could ski and surf in the same day. Secondly, if the place was a person, you'd say they were manic-depressive. The mood swings of the electorate in this province are whiplash-inducing. Socialist, then right-wing, then socialist, then who knows? At the time of this writing, and it could change before I get to the end of this sentence, the Socialist New Democratic Party are in power. The right-wing Social Credit Party, who governed the province for 36 years, almost uninterrupted, currently have no seats in the House at all, and for us political satirists, we're still mourning their electoral wipeout. Because the Socreds were the party that just kept on giving, one luscious scandal with the public purse after another. There are almost 200 indigenous nations in B.C. speaking 30 distinct languages. They remain a powerful force and are still negotiating 60 treaties with the Crown. Lawyers, many lawyers, <laughs> lawyers are always in groups of many, get those billings up as high as possible, spend their entire careers working on one treaty settlement. And I'll leave it to you to imagine who the aggrieved party is. Hint, it ain't the Crown. <laughs> BC is the province in Canada with the highest visible minority population. It's at 30%. There are now five cities in BC where the visible minority population is actually higher than 50%, which of course is the great upgrade to becoming the visible majority. And speaking of upgrades, the real estate market in Metro Vancouver is positively Manhattan-esque. BC 
D.C. used to be a resource-based economy, but now the service sector leads. At the same time, lumber, mining, and B.C. bud are still substantial resources. Before the legalization of pot in October 2017, B.C. produced $7 billion a year of cannabis. And we owe a huge thanks to our biggest customer, you. Thank you for loving our drugs. British Columbia is the producer of 40% of the pot illegally grown in Canada. And the RCMP... You remember them, right? Sergeant Renfrew, Dudley Do-Right. Well, Dudley estimates that there are 20,000 grow-ops in residential homes in the province of British Columbia. No surprise, because British Columbians are masters at running pirate economies. Centuries before the current B.C. bud enterprise was launched, the fur trade was a huge part of B.C.'s economy when the Europeans arrived in the home of the First Nations, with lots of arrogant ambition and a buffet of epidemics. That was followed by a, a few slightly sleazy gold rushes, and then some pretty dedicated exploitation of the Japanese, Chinese, and other Asians. During Prohibition in the U.S., B.C. became the liquor hub for the west coast of America. We've been keeping you guys stoned and drunk for decades. I fucking love you, man. <clears throat> the problem is, we've been running rogue economies for your benefit for so long, you don't recognize it anymore when we play straight up. Maybe you've heard about the never-ending softwood lumber dispute, huh? The one that's been going on for three decades? Well, you've been some pissed at us. Us, your buddy, and best neighbor forever, Canada. Briefly, it goes like this. The provinces control our forests and charge what's called stumpage fees to the forestry companies for the harvest of wood. Your powerful lumber lobby thinks that our sawmills are getting wood at less than fair market value because they think they're being subsidized by the government. Well, your lobbyist's perception is wrong. But don't take my word for it. The WTO agreed with Canada. NAFTA Dispute Resolution Board sided with Canada many times. The London Court of International Arbitration sided with Canada. Even your very own Department of Commerce agreed with Canada. At one point, an international trade tribunal said that you had unfairly collected $5.3 billion in tariffs. So what did you do, you honorable person? You returned $4 billion and kept a nice little $1.3 bill tip for your troubles of ripping us off. Who's a stump now, huh? In the 30-odd years this trade war has been going on, do you adhere to international law or trade treaties that you yourself signed? Of course not, because you are a Darling little exceptionalist. <laughs> rules? Said what? We don't need no stinking rules, suckers. We're American. <laughs> now I have it on good counsel that on a porn set, when the male actor is ready for his close-up, the director will prep the shot by saying to the cast and crew, People, we have wood! Well, my exceptionalist friends, we have wood. It's not subsidized. It's just wood. 
Cut! Because southern BC is the warmest part of Canada, during the Depression, the unemployed migrated to Vancouver in huge numbers, where they set up what were called hobo jungles, which begat Vancouver's east side slums, the only slums I've ever seen in my extensive travels in Canada. The slums of east side Vancouver are the opioid overdose capital of Canada and a tremendously tragic place. In 2020, BC reported 1,716 overdose deaths, an increase of 74% over the previous year. More people die in British Columbia from overdoses than car crashes, homicides, suicides, prescription drug-related deaths combined. Recently, the BC NDP government petitioned the federal government to decriminalize small amounts of personal-use narcotics. And that looks like it's probably going to happen. The city has many safe injection site programs, which have been supported by the Liberal federal government in Ottawa. But the problem persists. If I may, I think it would be appropriate to have a word with our drug dealers, because I know from the podcast demographic data that we have a lot of listeners who self-identify as drug dealers. Would you please stop killing your clients, for fuck's sakes? Maybe you guys need to go to some kind of community college, pharmacology classes or something. Why are you making those drugs so strong? I just do not get it. I've always been conflicted about Vancouver. It's stunningly beautiful. But in the alleyways, just feet from the facade of beauty, there's a kind of lurking, tragic, urban desperation that you seldom see in other Canadian cities. Vancouverites are nice, but it must be said they're slightly wary about us overly ambitious Eastern bastards coming West to destroy their chill lifestyles by working too hard. Vancouver's the third largest film production center in North America after Los Angeles and New York. In the industry, it's known as Hollywood North. The B.C. government offers a very generous production tax credit, and with the lower Canadian dollar, producers love coming to B.C. for a lot more than the stunning locations. It's long been said that Canada's a nation of hewers of wood and drawers of water, meaning that we ship our resources to other places for design and for manufacture, and then we buy the goods back at a premium, of course. In an odd way, that's what's happened with our domestic film industry. We've built a spectacular service industry. As mentioned in an earlier episode, American productions come to Canada with their writers, their directors, their stars, their technical department heads, and then they shoot their epic American blockbustery pictures using our most excellent crews. But we're not creating. We're servicing. We have the best assistant directors of photography, the best supporting actors, the best film catering, sous chefs. But are we killing it on the international film scene with our original productions? Um, no. Eh? In 2010, Vancouver hosted the Winter Olympics. You should know this, it might be on your citizenship test. The Vancouver Olympics was our third Olympics in Canada. Yep, we did the Winter Olympics in 1988 in Calgary, and the Summer Olympics in Montreal in 1976. Now, even though this is far off today's topic of British Columbia, 
I cannot resist telling you this morsel of Canadian sporting history from 1976. The mayor of Montreal at the time, Jean Drapeau, no, let me rephrase that. The mayor of Montreal all the time, because he held on to that gig for 29 years, famously promised the citizens of Montreal that hosting the Olympics wouldn't cost the city a dime because they'd be self-financing. Or, as he so eloquently said, the Olympics can no more have a deficit than a man can have a baby. Pushing as hard as I can! Oh. For your citizenship test, a Canadian man cannot, I repeat, cannot have a baby. It took Montrealers 30 years to finish paying for their Olympics. Let's get back to BC, shall we? So in 2010, the Olympics are in Vancouver. And for the opening and closing ceremony, the B.C. government hires an artistic director and creative team from Australia. Think about that for a second. Can you imagine the Germans hiring a Brit to create the opening of their games? Or the French hiring a German to do their opening? That would be impossible. Canada has some of the leading large event creators on Earth. Cirque du Soleil and Robert La Paz, just to name two. And British Columbia hires Aussies to create their opening. Now, I met the Aussies, and they were lovely people, no offense there. But if there ever was a better example of an utter lack of national confidence, the hiring of a foreign artistic team for the creation of our Olympic opening was the global reveal of the British Columbian inferiority complex. Blimey, Bruce, you're getting a bit prissy here, aren't you? I mean, we're really fucking good at it, mate. Right. The year after the Vancouver Olympics, I was the artistic director for the Canada Day celebrations on Parliament Hill in Ottawa. I would finish a presentation of the production I was envisioning with the bureaucrats, and at the end, they would only ask one question. It's not going to be like the Olympic opening, is it? No. I should mention, if you like hanging around bureaucrats, and frankly, who doesn't, then the city of Victoria, B.C. might be the place for you. It's the capital of British Columbia. And perhaps you like a British high tea, huh? then Victoria is certainly the place for you. I mean, after all, the joint was named after Queen Victoria. So if you're a fan of the monarchy, and you best be a fan of the monarchy, because don't forget, once you pass your citizenship test, you're going to have to take an oath of citizenship, which involves you raising your right hand and saying some nice shit about the queen. Victoria would be right tickety-boo for you. There's so much to explore in BC, we've barely scratched the surface. But remember, when you cross the border, 
Take some really long, deep breaths. Smell the salt of the Pacific Ocean. Inhale the beautiful mossy funk of an old growth forest. Pay your respects to an incredibly rich First Nation culture. Then pay millions for your crappy 1,200 square foot condo in downtown Van. But most importantly, remember, chill. Your American go get em attitude is not welcome here. Because in BC, this bud's for you. Whoa, big fella, hold that theme there, would you? This is the last episode of season one. Good news is, we've been renewed for season two. I just renewed us. So simple. But before we leave you, I have to tell you guys something about Canadians. Canadians are known as a very obedient people. We listen to authority. The joke goes, how do you get Canadians out of the pool on a sweltering hot day in the summer? Okay, everyone, out of the pool. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is, while we're on hiatus writing season two during the summer, you're going to summer school. So when we come back in the fall, you'll know what you need to know to pass the Canadian citizenship test. It's easy. All you have to do is go online, enter Canadian citizenship test, and study all summer long. Now, before we fuck off for the summer, I want to thank from the bottom of my heart the wonderful team at Yes We Canada. Our chief correspondent, Mio Edelman. Our announcer, Lisa Evans. Our actor-in-residence, Lynn Tremblay. Our social media team, JMP Media. Our engineer and sound designer, Paco Rosos, who did episodes 1 through 4. And Chris Leon, who did our sound design and mixed episodes 5 through 26. We're very grateful to you for listening, so please share. Encourage your friends to listen. You're an American. You're super good at persuasion. Our 26 episodes will remain up on all the platforms, including YouTube. So if you can write a kind review, subscribe, that would be greatly appreciated. And of course, you can tweet us at YesWeCanadaPod. One more piece of housekeeping. If you've got ideas for episodes for our next season, we'd love to hear them. What is that sound? There are prizes to anyone who lands an episode concept. Good prizes, too, not stupid tote bags. So please, tweet us. Wait, is that goddamn beaver back? Chris, what's... Are we using fiber optic cables? Because from what I read, his vet said he wasn't getting his daily dose of fiber. Oh, God damn it. I was almost done with season one. Would somebody get this rodent out of here? For fuck's sakes. 